Well, what an exciting time of the year. A time of the year when uh, different studios release all sorts of movies. I mean, Star Wars, the final Star Wars is out. Man, am I excited. We're going to... John and I like movies. Um, we don't go a lot uh, because we have sort of different tastes in movies. You know, Joe, I'm going to spill the beans because Joe watches a whole lot of movies that I can't watch. I can't watch them because they're all in subtitles. My view is if I'm watching a movie, I'm not reading a book. I don't want to read what's going on. I just want to see what's going on and hear what's going on. On the other hand, Joe gets a bit frustrated. I only like action movies. Oh, sorry, that's not true. I like action movies because I don't care. I literally do not care that the bad guys can have machine guns and spray bullets everywhere and the good guys never get a scratch. It doesn't worry me at all. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't worry. I just want to be entertained. This is also going to be a surprise, but I like kids' movies. I like all the kids' movies. I, you know, I just love them. Uh, and I couldn't work out why until Joe pointed out one day that uh, children's movies are designed for kids. Kids have short attention spans. You have a short attention span. <laughs> I don't mind. I love them. But Joe and I often see stories very differently. Well, the same could be said about the start of Matthew's gospel, especially when it's compared with Luke's. You see, Luke's gospel, we get the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, whereas Matthew is giving us the story through the eyes of Joseph. There is no attempt in either to try and to try and draw them together, to draw them in line with each other. The central facts are the same, but rather than like in Luke's picture of an excited Galilean girl learning that she's about to give birth to the Messiah, Matthew shows us a far more somber picture of Joseph and his discovery that his fiancée is pregnant quite a different prospect. The only point that is anywhere similar with the two is when the angel says to Joseph, as the angel Gabriel said to Mary, don't be afraid. This is an important point. It is important for us to remember as we read the accounts of Jesus' birth. The reason I say that is that for centuries, those that have opposed the thought of Christianity, and in fact, even some Christians themselves, had felt the story is unnecessary and, well, almost embarrassing and untrue. It is one of the problems with miracles, don't you think? Some miracles are okay. When somebody's lost for days in the bush and then they're found all of a sudden... That's a miracle. Maybe healings. I believe in healings. I believe in the miracle of healings. Don't get me wrong. But it's easy to believe in miracles of healing. The word is used enough 
often enough to explain the unexpected. But to use it for a baby being born without a father, that is not possible. That is taking it too far, isn't it? But because it is hard to believe, it has it, it also gives voice to the whole story that are just not true. There's a whole lot of stories that people have invented to try and make sense of it. Things like, God doesn't think that sex is a good thing and therefore doesn't want to have anything to do with it. It gave rise to the story that Mary remained a virgin her whole life. Something that the Bible just doesn't say. In fact, here and elsewhere it implies that she and Joseph lived pretty much a normal married life after the birth of Jesus. Well, most of these strange stories have grown up and around Jesus' conception and birth. But we can hardly blame Matthew for that. Matthew, like Luke, is explaining the birth of Jesus as they both believed it to be true and was the ultimate explanation as to why Jesus was the person he was. I have no doubt that they both would have known that they were taking a risk mentioning a virgin birth. There was, of course, other stories in both Greek and Roman mythology of great heroes conceived by the intervention of the gods. The one that comes to mind for me is always Hercules, son of Jupiter and Alchemini. Surely, surely Matthew, with his very Jewish perspective on things, would hardly have invented such a story or even copied it from someone else if he didn't believe it to be totally true. Such a story is just waiting for the critics to come flooding in with all sorts of alternative and less salubrious meanings of Mary's pregnancy. Well, maybe Matthew could have left out the story of Jesus' conception. Maybe. But that would have depended on nobody already knowing that there was something strange about it. You see, in John's Gospel, Jesus' birth and his legitimacy is played out in chapter 8, verse 41, where it is said to Jesus, We are not illegitimate children. We have one Father, God himself. Maybe, just maybe, Luke and Matthew are trying to set the record straight by telling this story. There has been also alternative suggestions that Matthew made up the story so that it would fit nicely with Isaiah 7, 14, which he quotes in verse 23. The problem with that is that no one else saw that passage in Isaiah as having anything to do with the fulfilment of the coming Messiah. Rather, it looks like Matthew found this verse because, because he knew the story of Jesus' birth rather than vice versa. Well, we are left with a choice, aren't we? 
It depends on whether or not you believe that God could or in fact act like that. Some say no, he couldn't. Miracles just don't happen. Or that he wouldn't. If God invented then, intervened then, why doesn't he intervene in all the bad things that are happening in the world? Some people try and treat the people of Jesus' day as being stupid. They try and tell us that they didn't know the scientific laws of nature the way we do. Although, if you read the story, you are left in no doubt that Joseph knew how babies were made and where they came from. But Matthew doesn't ask us to take the story all by itself. He's asking us to see it in the light of both the entire history of Israel and more particular in the subsequent story of Jesus himself. You have to ask yourself, after you have finished reading all of Matthew, does this story and the subsequent impact on Jesus, on the world and on the countless individuals ever since, does it make more or less sense? Is it likely that he was indeed conceived by a special act of the Holy Spirit? This is the question only you can answer for yourself. But Matthew doesn't want you to stop there. He wants to tell you more about Jesus, who he is, and, and, and in a time, sorry, who he is in a time-honoured fashion. That is, through his names. You see, Jesus was a popular boy's name. In some parts of the world, it still is. In Hebrew, it is the same as Joshua who, if you remember, brought the Israelites into the promised land after the death of Moses. Matthew, in his gospel, sees Jesus as the one who will complete what the law of Moses pointed to, but couldn't in itself produce. He will rescue his people, not from the slavery of Egypt, but from the slavery of sin. This sin is the exile they have suffered, not just while they're in Babylon, but in their hearts and lives. Matthew points to another name, Emmanuel. God is with us. Matthew's whole gospel is bookend with this theme. Here at the start of his gospel, and again at chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus promises that, he will be with his people to the end of ages. Here is the joy of our faith. God is not a distant God away somewhere that has forgotten all about earth that he set in motion. No, these names together express the meaning of the story. God is present in his people. He doesn't intervene from a distance, but is always active, sometimes in the most unexpected ways. 
that God's action aimed at rescuing his people from a helpless and hopeless plight. He takes the initiative and does things that most people think inconceivable. This is the God. This is the Jesus who comes to us still today. When all human possibilities have run out, he offers us new and a startling way forward in the fulfilment of his promise and by the power and love of his grace. My prayer is that over Christmas that you'll experience this love and this grace that only comes through Jesus. Amen.